Richard Dawkins would tell us that at the beginning of the world, there was an almighty explosion, and that what happened in the first few moments of that explosion was that all the matter in the universe, which had been compressed into some energetic ball, blew itself apart. And that all the particles that are currently in existence in the universe came into being at that point. But not that just came into being, but they started spinning outwards, away from one another. And that there's a continual motion, even now, of these particles spinning apart. And occasionally they bump into one another, and sometimes that's constructive, but more often that's deconstructive. And in those initial moments of that explosion, there was something called antimatter created, and something called, sorry, he wouldn't use the word created, there was something called antimatter and something called matter. And actually, when they collided, they completely annihilated one another. But that ever since that moment, the world has been spinning away from itself. And every, every particle in the universe is separating. Charles Darwin would tell us something slightly different, perhaps. And what he would say is that every creature on this earth, including us, is continually striving to outdo its, um, its peers. And that the only way that uh, we make progress is by beating each other, by talking each other down, I wouldn't say that, but by, but by just exceeding one another. There's a continual striving, he calls it natural selection, survival of the fittest. But the built-in, he would say, to who we are is a need to do one another down. There's a theologian called René Girard, and he would say that fundamental to every society that has ever been, and every society that exists today, is something which he calls mimetic rivalry. And what that is, is that basically we're all envious of one another, and we all see something that we want, and we're jostling each other out of the way to try and, um, to try and attain what one another have. Um, I was round at the Taylor's house recently, and uh, while we were there, a glass got dropped. And it must have been a really cheap and nasty glass because it absolutely splattered everywhere. And it was rooms away. We found shards rooms away. The Bible tells us that at the moment when everything broke, that's what happened. So we all started moving apart from one another. And we started moving apart from God. Do you remember how um, Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the evening? And the day after, or the evening after, they took that fruit. God showed up as usual. And they didn't keep the appointment. And that was the beginning of that broken relationship between people and God. But it doesn't, that's not the pinnacle of it, or the... Or the 
anti-pinnacle. It continues to get worse. And if you read the next um, six to 12 chapters of Genesis, you see that relationship getting worse. It isn't at its worst in that Garden of Eden that night. It gets worse and worse and worse until God has to judge the world with a flood because it has got so dreadful. But it's not just the relationship between people and God that's gone wrong at that moment. It's the relationship between one another. Do you remember how when God says to them, what have you done? How Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, but they're trying to point the finger at one another. And here we see the beginnings of things going wrong between one another. But that's not the worst. Because in the very next chapter, one of their sons kills his brother. And it continues to get worse. And read on just a few more chapters, and you've got nations fighting against nation. Things blew apart, and they can't be patched back up again. And so we today live with that continual effect that we have a broken relationship with God. We don't really get God, do we? We don't really understand him. We don't have that sense of walking with him like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We don't really communicate very well with him. The, uh, the passage that's, one of the passages that was read for us has, in the NIV, has the phrase, we were without God and without hope in the world. What a desperate phrase, without God and without hope in the world. We're like lost children standing in the universe, aren't we? Like orphans, and we're missing someone, and we don't even really know quite who it is we're missing. I'm told that um, people who are a twin um, feel an incredible closeness to that twin, and sometimes um, when one of the twins dies very, very early, or perhaps before they're even born, then, then that one that survives may not even know that they were a twin, but for the rest of their life, they feel a hunger that someone is missing. And isn't that a picture, actually, of our broken relationship with God? And sometimes we can't put our finger on it, but we know something's not right, and we know there's someone missing. Um, have you ever watched the opening of Parliament? Have you ever watched Black Rod? We went to, we went to the Houses of Parliament back in uh, October, Susanna and I, and uh, we did the walk from the House of Lords along through the lobby to the House of Commons. We did Black Rod's walk. And Black Rod, being representative of the Queen, is not allowed into the House of Commons. Well, they don't like him in there. And they see him coming, and they slam the door in his face. And if you look, there's a little mark, there's a dent in the wood where he bangs with his rod. But isn't it like that? That we have this sense, actually, that the doors of heaven are slammed against us. That there is a an unfixable breach between us and God. That's the one way. That's the vertical way. But what about the horizontal break, break, breaks? Don't we live with distrust of one another? God have mercy. My parents' were, house was broken into last, um, what I heard yesterday. They're in Costa Rica. They don't know at the moment. And the place has been stripped. We live in distrust, don't we? We live with untruth. We speak untruth and we receive untruths. We live with broken promises and we break promises. We live in selfishness and pride 
And all of that does is continue to push people away from us. And we continue to blow ourselves apart. We live with jealousy and with blame and with unforgiveness. How we need a reconciler. And I hope you picked it up. In the readings we've had today, they all talked about reconciliation. And they all talked about it happening at the cross. Because what happened at the cross was something that changed the fabric of space-time and history. It wasn't just a a nice event or, or a dreadful event that we might draw some moral lesson from. Something happened. Something got fixed that day. I wonder if you spotted Paul, as he talks about reconciliation in his letters, he can't fit it into one letter. There's so much truth there, and that's why I had to put three readings in, because each of those letters tells us something different about what God was fixing that day. So in Colossians, if we could have the first slide, please. In the Colossians, we, we heard this. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So that day, God was doing something, and I can't explain it to you, but God was doing something that fixed the universe. That fixing is much more than just a little individual salvation for you and me. God did something cosmic that day. And if we have the next one, please. In 2 Corinthians, he says this. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So as well as fixing the cosmos, he was fixing people like you and me. And he was reaching out to people who had the door of heaven slammed in their faces up till then. The people who had been orphans in the universe. And he was reaching out and fixing it for people like you and me. And then in Ephesians, Paul tells us something again new. And he says this, God's purpose was to create in himself one new person out of the two. He's talking about the split between Jews and Gentiles, which was the, uh, the huge split. Um, the Jews hated the Gentiles. They thought they were scum. They thought they were unclean. The Gentiles weren't too fond of the Jews either. And, uh, and Paul is saying, Jews and Gentiles, and we can apply that here and now, old and young, black and white, um, Palestinian and Israeli, um, you know, any, any, any fundamental break you like to say, God's purpose was to create one new person out of those divided people, making peace and to reconcile both of them to God and therefore to end their hostility. So on the cross, God was fixing the cosmos and he was fixing the relationship between a broken, sinful world and himself. And he was making a people with, with healed relationships. God did something that day. Something more, though. The cross is an invitation, but it's also 
um, a standard for us. It's, um, if you like, an ethical norm. It's uh, something we should aim to be like. Let me try and explain to you what I mean. When we try to fix the broken relationships that we still live with, the best way to fix them is to model ourselves on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if we do that, we start preferring the need of the other person, as Jesus did. We start to be willing to die to ourselves. We start to be willing to love and to love and to love again in the face of ingratitude, hostility, resentment, but to continue to love. The Bible tells us that while we were still his enemies, God sent Jesus. He didn't wait for us to apologize or repent or turn around or cry out to him. He made the first move. I heard a story this week um, about a minister who had been really badly hurt. Um, he'd gone to a, a meeting which a, a couple in his congregation had called him to. And for the whole evening, um, they had been really abused him. They'd said, you know, how he'd let them down and he'd, um, you know, mishandled his authority and, and loads of stuff like that. And he just sort of let this come at him all evening. And by the end of the evening, he was badly hurt and uh, pretty bruised. And he went home and he took himself up to his room and he started praying. He started crying out to God because he was so hurt by being misunderstood and maybe willfully misunderstood, and by all the hurtful things that they had said and, and the poison they'd poured out on him. And he got himself on his knees, and he was crying and probably shouting at God. And when he'd had his yell at God, he felt a settled knowledge inside himself that he needed to pray for that couple. And he didn't want to. He probably wanted to pray for them to leave the church. He didn't want to pray for their blessing. But he knew that was the thing he had to do. And as he prayed, he said he had a, a picture, and it was as if he had moved around, and he was looking at himself. He was kneeling by the bed, and he was looking at himself. He was looking over his shoulder, and over his shoulder he could see this couple, and he could see that their faces weren't filled with anger and fury anymore, but he could see the hurt that was behind what they had done to him. And that relationship began to be fixed because he acted like Jesus on the cross because he was willing to pour in love when it wasn't deserved and when it wasn't sent back to him because he was willing to love in the face of pain because he was willing to forgive even when they didn't deserve it because he was willing to lay down his own agenda and look for what was going on in theirs that's being Christ-like that's an example how the cross can shape the mending of our own relationships. So I've got a challenge for you today. And it's, it's, a, well, it's a question, really. Um, two questions. The first one is, have you been reconciled to God? God, as we've said, did something that Good Friday. He opened a door You don't need to open it. You don't need to rattle the handle. You don't need to yell at him and say, God, where are you? 
He's opened the door and he's standing with his hands open to you. He has done it for you and all you need it to do is to come. But you do need to come. There's a door standing open and you need to walk through it. So maybe for the first time, you're saying, actually, yeah, I have, I have been feeling like an orphan in the universe. I have felt the doors of heaven were slammed against me. And I felt like my prayers have bounced back at me. And God is saying, I did something for you. That Good Friday, I did it. It's not something you need to do. It's just something you need to receive. So that's my first question to you. And my second question is, are you in a relationship that needs fixing? And I reckon most of us probably are, one way or another. Are you knowing that fracture of relationships, where people are spinning apart rather than coming back together, where there's distrust and untruth and broken promises and unforgiveness and blame and jealousy and pride? Does that resonate with you in any of the relationships in your life? And so for you today, the cross is a challenge. It's a cosmic dare. And God says to you, do you dare to love like my son loved? Do you dare to let the cross shape the way you live with other people? Do you dare to love when you're not loved in return? Do you dare to love your enemies? Do you dare to forgive when they haven't begged your forgiveness? Do you dare to prefer the needs of other people? Do you dare to choose to die to your own wants? The cross is an invitation. It's a God who is opening his hands and saying, come, I've done it all for you. And the cross is a dare. I'm going to uh, finish by reading... Um, something it's, it's, it's called a targum on Colossians. It's just a part of it. Some of you may have, have read this before. Mike Pears used to um, used to quote from this sometimes. But I read this this week, and I thought this is this says so much. So um, I'm going to conclude with this. Christ is at the head of the resurrection parade, transforming our tears of betrayal into tears of joy, giving us dancing shoes for the resurrection party. And this glittering joker who has danced in the dragon's jaws of death now dances with a dance that is full of nothing less than the fullness of God. This is the dance of the new creation. This is the dance of life out of death. And in this dance, all that was broken, all that was estranged, all that was alienated, all that was dislocated and disconnected is reconciled comes home, is healed, and is made whole. Everything, all things, whatever you can imagine, visible and invisible, mountains and atoms, outer space, urban space, cyberspace, every inch of creation, every dimension of our lives, all things are reconciled in him, and it all happens on a cross.
going to take some time now um, to respond to that just quietly. Um, and what I want to invite you to do, um, if you think you've heard God speaking today, is I want to invite you to do something particular. The cross is an invitation. So if you're sitting there thinking, actually, I'm not sure I've ever responded to that invitation. I'm not sure I've ever really walked through that door that's been opened for me. And today is a day to do that. Today is a good day to do that. Today is a good day to be fixed with the creator of the universe. So that might be you. You might be someone who's saying, I have done that, but actually I feel a bit dislocated from God again. And maybe we've, you know, I've walked through that door and I'm in his family, but we don't talk too much. And, and I'd like to be back on his lap again where I belong. So that might be for you as well. Or there might be people sitting here who are thinking, yeah, I want to take up that dare because I know that there are relationships in my life where I need to be more cross-shaped. So what's going to happen is Johnny and the band are going to come and play some music. And I'd just like to invite you to send an attitude of prayer, um, sing along if you want to, um, or just listen quietly. Just listen quietly with God in your heart. But if God has been speaking to you, I'd like to invite you to come up to the front. I'm going to stand over there, not right at the front so everyone can see. People are going to be, have their heads bowed anyway. I want to come up and invite you um, to have the sign of the cross made on your forehead with some oil. And that's not magic, but that's a symbol of you saying, either, yeah, I want to accept that invitation, or I want to take up the dare. But either way, it's a sign of being marked with a cross over your life. So that's what we're going to do now for the next few minutes.